Well, 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 good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you. Wasn't that, that song is just, just tears me up, uh, you know, it's just like, whoa, I will make room for you. Uh, you know, I, I, some songs are more anointed than others, I don't know what that is, but that is, a, that is an anointed song. Well, it's wonderful to be with you, wonderful to see you, and this morning we are in the letter to Thyatira. And there again, you might want to think of naming your daughter. That name, is, it's not used very often. But uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to uh, the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 2. And I believe that this letter is really pertinent to us today in, in the situation that we find ourselves as Christians uh, in this culture that we're in right now. Uh, if you are just waking up, uh, believe it or not, we don't live in the 1950s anymore. You know, our culture has moved. Our culture has largely, we were, ne I, I don't know the language when people use that we are a Christian nation. Uh, that, that I, I, that's a whole discussion in itself. But I think uh, we're, uh, we're a nation that is largely impacted by Christianity and the teachings of Christianity, Judeo-Christian worldview. And now I think most everyone would agree that we have moved to be being a post-Christian nation, which means that the influence of Christianity it is still there in a kind of a dormant sense, but we have moved on in, in, in post in post-Christianity, we are largely influenced by a, a post-modernity. Uh, a post-modernity means that meaning is defined by context. There is no objective meaning anymore. It's whatever you feel, whatever your context, whatever your experience is, that is your reality, which is a whole different worldview than to say that, no, uh, I, I and we are defined by something and someone outside of us, which, uh, and this is not a philosophy course, so I won't say anything more about that, but just to, to prepare us for the sermon this morning, I want to slow the train down long enough for you to get on board, and the way I want to do that is to remind you of the teaching of Jesus in John 17 where he essentially said to his followers, the disciples that night, um, you are in the world, but not of the world. You are in the world, but not of the world. So the early church, when they first decided in the Jerusalem council to approve the idea that came from the apostle Peter, that the gospel is to go out to Gentiles. That was radical. For you, if you are a Gentile, it's not radical at all. You just woke up this morning and said, you know, if I were God, I would love me too. You know what, there's nothing radical about that. But to remind you, in that day, Judaism was very parochial. You know, is largely confined to Judea and, and ancient Israel. And then there was the diaspora and, and the diaspora all lived in uh, not ghettos but clusters of Jews that lived throughout the Mediterranean world but in Judaism they were always cautious about the paganism that is the worship of other gods and the practice of immorality that went on in the greater Roman world so the idea of Gentiles becoming Christians, followers of Jesus, was frightening. So what do we do? And so I'll talk about some of the rules that they laid down, but two of them were uh, specifically tell the Gentiles to stay away from immorality and to stay away from worshiping idols and eating food that has been worship that has been sacrificed to idols 
And so that was the mandate. But they felt the danger that someday there might be Christians that try to bring it all together in some kind of great, great compromise. So bringing you back to where we are today, that we are in the world, but not of the world, I, as a pastor, have noticed for the last 50 years, there's a tendency for us to be one or the other. So there's the not-of-the-world Christians, and you sense that from them all the time. Uh, you know, I call them castle Christians, and we stay in our castle, and, and we hate this about that, 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 that. But if you ask them, do you know an unbeliever? Do you know a non-Christian? No, no, would never do that. Um, I am not of the world. So the tendency for that person is to not just be a castle Christian, but to be an Amish Christian. That actually, they, they've forgotten the Great Commission, why we are here on planet Earth. That we are here to take the risk of meeting a non-Christian. Then, on the other hand, there are the chameleon Christians who are in the world. <laughs> Boy, are we in the world. We do this, we do that, we do this, we do that, and we just put Jesus on it. And, and we just kind of look like everybody else, and only our hairdresser knows for sure whether we're a Christian. But Jesus asks us to be in the world and not of the world. So I was having a party at my house the other night. Uh, we had a get-together for those of us that were part of, some of us that were a part of the film that documentary we made a few years ago regarding ISIS in Iraq. And uh, three of them were Egyptian American Christians, so they know what it's like to live in a Muslim culture that uh, is very anti, particularly in the Muslim Brotherhood days, is very anti-Christian and burned 70 churches down. So they know what that culture is like that pushes back on Christianity. Uh, then there was someone from Portugal that understands ancient Christianity in Europe and uh, its influence through the cathedrals and, and so forth. Then there was a, a couple of people from the country of Seattle. <laughs> and, you know, you know what that's like up there. You know, that's, that's a whole nother country. And, and then there was Jan and I from the country of Southern California, fourth generation. So there we were, and the conversation became, uh, boy, has our culture changed. It just feels like it's speeding up faster and faster, and it just, what is happening to this culture called America and the, all the subcultures within it? And uh, I, I agreed with everything they were saying. It's just like, wow, I would not have woken up knowing that this was the United States coming from the 1950s to now if I hadn't have been the, the frog in the beaker over the Bunsen burner, gradually watching this whole change that's been going on. You with me so far? So, but it started to go in a direction which felt like, yeah, we need to just kind of stay away from people, stay away from this, this, this. And I said, but let's not forget that this is our calling. Everything you're saying is true about what's wrong, but this is why we're here and not in heaven, that we are here to love the aboriginals of America <laughs> and bring the gospel to our neighbors. So what person do you know? How many friends have you made? Who are you in contact with where you are bringing the gospel and not being a castle Amish Christian? And so one person spoke up and said, well, yeah, but Mark, really, don't you think that there's a balance here? 
And before I could think about it, I heard the word come out of my mouth. No. <laughs> there is no balance. It's 100% holiness, morality, and it's 100% full-on mission work into this culture. There's no balance. Because balance is like I'm going to be loving to my neighbor 50% of the time. <laughs> and I'm going to stay away from 50% of the time. That we have to be so secure in, in our walk with Jesus Christ that we know who we are. And that allows me the freedom to love my neighbor without compromise. Well, lest I give you the whole message before I get into it, um, let me tell you the story about a missionary who went down to minister to cannibals. A Scottish missionary in the 19th century. Talk about invading culture. But let me hold off. Stick around and I'll tell you the rest of the story. Let's go ahead and get into the message that we have here today. Just teasing you. So Jesus, first of all, encourages the church. We'll look at that. Then he gives us the meat of the sermon. He's warning them about something that I am feeling passionate about, warning us about. And then he tells us to finish strong. So let's begin with the encouragement. Jesus, come with us today. Walk us through this passage of scripture. Feed our souls. Make us courageous enough and daring enough to be honest with ourselves and with you where we need to change, keep us from pointing fingers at other people, hoping that they'll change. And God, we pray that you would do a work in your church in America in these critical days, that we would shine for you and listen to the words that are here in Jesus' name, amen. So just to remind you, we're not taking a historical view of these letters for Revelation, in Revelation, to say, well, that was just for them. We're not taking a futuristic view and saying, it's just for those people and we're amazing. Uh, but we're actually listening to the word of God for us today, which is, I think, the Apostle John's intent. So he says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these words, I'm in verse 18, of the Son of God whose eyes are like a blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Amazing encouragement. Parents, coaches, leaders, listen to Jesus before he tells them anything that they're doing wrong. He tells them what they're doing right. Wouldn't that be good for us to do? We always love an attaboy. And so here's Thyatira. It's the least important of the seven cities that we're studying. And if you look on the map, you can see where Thyatira is. Thyatira is a, a mountain pass. Do you see the mount? Do you see the map? <laughs> there we go. Okay. You can see where it is. It's between Sardis and Pergamos. And if you're wondering where Asia Minor is, this is modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's hard for moderners to think of Turkey that isn't Turkish. But the Turks invaded 800 AD. So before that, it was a very Greek civilization, almost like just a suburb of Greece itself, just across the Aegean Sea. So think of everything being very Greek. In fact, when the Romans conquered all of the Mediterranean world, they were by descendant Greek themselves. They loved the Greek culture and they made everything Greek all around the Roman Empire. So think of it that way. And, but these cities are also extensions of the power of Rome. And Thyatira had two primary temples. One was a temple to the emperor himself who was called the son of God. The second was to Apollo, who was also called the Son of God. So, being contextually um, pertinent, John points out that there is only one Son of God, as Psalm 2 
points out, kiss the son lest he be angry with you. Uh, it's Jesus who is the son of God. And why it's giving us that information at the beginning is to say, this is why you need to listen to these words. This is not just a good idea, but this is the Son of God. This is something that drives me nuts in America. There's a lot of things. But one of the things that it comes from non-Christians and it bleeds into Christian culture, we say things like, I don't know, I think if there is a God, he's this way, he's that way, he's... A and then as Christians, we say, I don't know. I just think that God ought to be this, and I think that Jesus is that, and I just think, and I, and I want to say to everybody, and who might you be that you get to be the pope of your own religion and spin it however you want? We as Christians, we have an authority in our lives. It is the Son of God. Hello? Yes. Jesus is our king. He's our authority, our Messiah. And he's the son of God. He's the one with the flaming eyes. Now, the book of Revelation is symbolism throughout the book of Revelation. And it's really hard for concrete engineers to get their brains around symbolism. But it, it's, it's, it's dream language. It's called apocalyptic literature which is where the word revelation comes. It means to pull the curtain and reveal something. So there's a little bit of apocalyptic literature in the book of Daniel, little less in, in Ezekiel, but John writes in this genre to, to reveal some very powerful truths, but also to make it cryptic so that the Roman Empire can't know what is being said in it because it's going to speak very negatively against the Roman Empire and future empires, okay? So, he says that the Son of God has flaming eyes. Now, none of us want to see Jesus that way, right? It's like, whoa, that's, that's, you mind if I put my shades on? That's, that's intimidating. It's symbolism to say his eyes that see everything want to make everything holy and pure. Right? In my life, in your life, in this world. And the second thing is this burnished bronze, the feet. The feet that go everywhere, that the feet, the movement of God, God who sees everything and goes everywhere... His feet have been uh, burnished or, or uh, purified in the fire. So he, he brings holiness wherever he goes. That's who he is. And if you wonder what holiness is, it's, it's onlyness. It's, it's everything centered around God and how he created it and that the beauty and the goodness and the love that he foresaw in the beginning he wants everything to become that again. Isn't that good? So that's why we say, yes, sir, son of God. I am listening. You have my attention. By the way, Lydia, if you remember from the book of Acts, uh, where Paul goes to Philippi, he meets a lady who's uh, a dealer in purple dye. And it says that she was from the town of Thyatira. So there's three things that, uh, or four things rather, that Jesus says he likes about the church of Thyatira, which is kind of cool. Everybody uh, camps on Jezebel, but there's four things, first of all, he says he likes about the church. Number one, their love. Number two, their faith. Thirdly, their service. And fourthly, their perseverance. Wow, what great qualities. I mean, if you met this person, you'd probably marry him. This is amazing. So love, scriptural love, all the way back to the Old Testament, is not Hollywood love. Sorry. It's, it's not Twitter-pated like Bambi. It's not um, 
I fell into love and I fall out of love or I feel like I'm loving you. I'm not saying that we don't have those feelings and those are human. But biblical love is about faithfulness and commitment. The Hebrew word is chesed, which is covenant committed love. And, and don't you want to, if someone says, I think I love you, um, I'd love to mooch off of you the rest of my life. Uh, don't you want them to say, I, I, want, I want to tell you, I want to practice committed love, covenant love, serious, faithful, tangible love. That's what this love is. So he commends them for their, their love. And then he commends them for their faith. And faith is also action like love. It's not the modern kind of thing that we've created, particularly in the church, I hate to say, in the church, we've created this thing. Uh, do you believe in Jesus in your heart? Yes, I believe him in my heart. But then we go do whatever we darn well please. But we have Jesus in our hearts. I'm just making fun of ourselves, okay? <laughs> there isn't any biblical faith like that. that that's dualistic. That doesn't travel with you and doesn't act. It's, it's holistic. So the faith and the love are action. They're doing. And the third thing is actually under this word. It's service. Where I serve you and you serve me. Because you're made in the image of God. And you're special because of, of that. And you serve me. And, and that kind of service happens. Each of us to each other. And finally, you persevere. You don't give up. And that's, that's where character is created. It's in the forging of tough times. Where this is a difficult time to believe that God loves me. This is a difficult time for me in my, my health, in my marriage, or even with persecution. So the word hupomane uh, is, is the Greek word. It means uh, to, to abide under. Hupo under and manain uh, to keep going, to abide. So it means to stay under the pressure. And a lot of times when the pressure or the heat gets too hot, people bail on their faith. And that's where we really need to buckle down and say, no, what I decided I still am redeciding the decision that I already decided. I will follow Jesus. That's perseverance. So these four things make this church an amazing church. And I would have to pause and say, you are an amazing church because I know these things to be about you. Your track record is that you practice all four of these things. And unlike Ephesus that had left their first love, Jesus says, you're better now than you were at the start. Wow. I give Thyatira an A. This is amazing for this particular church. Now, Jesus is going to go on to say, but there's something that needs to change. And I want to just stop with the word but for a moment. There's always something interesting in the Bible whenever you see but, however. And what strikes me here is that Jesus is able to say something good and say something bad, and it's not all or nothing. To critique our culture one more time, we have grown to be a culture that's all this or all that. It's all black or it's all white. It's all good or it's all bad. I was preaching, as you know, just two or three weeks ago, and um, I quoted an author, Paul Tillich. And, um, and, and Paul Tillich believes, as I'll say again today, that everybody has a religion. Even the people that don't believe in God have a religion. It's a system of belief that they build their lives around. It's a system of thinking, and it becomes their religion. And it, it is important to bring out now because uh, there's people that are getting away with spreading ideologies and philosophies 
uh, but they say it's not a religion. So we're not mixing religion and state, when in fact they really are by mixing the state government with an ideology. But I quoted Paul Tillich, and the guy came up to me afterwards and said, be careful, because Paul Tillich had some very liberal ideas as well. And why are you quoting him in a conservative church? And I said, because that one truth is true. And he asked, well, don't that, that you can't mix the two. And that's the problem with our world today. We think that we can't eat fish and spit out the bones. I do it every week. <laughs> Just because I like fish doesn't mean I like bones. Hello? So... If one domino goes over, it doesn't mean they all go over. It just means one domino went over. So we don't, you always do this. You never do this. They're all bad. They're all good. Life isn't that way. And as critical thinkers, we have to be um, understanding that no human is that way. So Jesus picks out the good. And he says, you're doing awesome, little buddy. I love how you're doing this. But now we'll talk about that. So let's move on and let's think about, because this is really the meat of the letter to Thyatira. Nevertheless, there's the but. <laughs> I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Remember the Jerusalem council. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Present tense. Currently, she's still unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. The word bed is key. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, that's key, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what, I, what you have until I come. So what he has against the church of Thyatira, not everybody follows Jezebel's teaching, but they tolerate it. And in tolerating it, it's like a virus that's now infecting some of the people in the church. And Jesus wants it to stop. Now, who is Jezebel. Jezebel is a symbolic term. There's a reason why many of you have not named your daughter Jezebel. <laughs> Even to this day, it's a symbolic term. Am I right or am I right? I think I'm right. It's symbolism for, oh my gosh, immorality, adultery, uh, uh, the worship of idols, yes, because the historic Jezebel from 1 Kings 16, she taught, as the wife of the king, she taught the prophets of God to worship the prophet Baal, Baal, B-A-A-L. And in the worship of Baal, there was the practice of temple prostitution and sexual immorality. And it bothered the prophet Elijah so much that he thought he was the only one left, that, that, that everyone's abandoned God and his holiness. And God reassured him that there's 7,000 other prophets who have not bowed the knee to Baal. But it was Jezebel who led the nation of Israel down this dark road of two things, immorality and the worship of another god. So the symbolism of that is attached to the source of this teaching in Thyatira, that it's similar to that, and it's actually similar to Pergamum that we studied last week, because they also 
And there it's called the teaching of Balaam. But it's those two things. I know, it bothers me too. <laughs> so, do you get the parallel? So we don't know what this woman's name was. We don't know except that she called herself a prophetess. Jesus doesn't call herself, but she get, calls herself that to, to have the power in the name of, of, of influence. But her fate is about to become the same fate as the woman Jezebel. You can read about it that in 1 Kings when she dies. So her teaching leads to sin. Now, what was her teaching? There were two aspects of it. Um, one is the deeds. She says that sexual immorality is okay, and it's okay to worship other gods. The second part of that is that there's secret knowledge. There's secret knowledge that once you've become a Christian and have walked like I have walked and know what I know and have had the experiences that I have, then you will know that this is okay. So what's going on to contextually? Well, we know from, you're still there, right? Yeah. So what we know from outside of extant literature, outside of scripture, is that in Thyatira, there were these trades or guilds that practiced the worship of Apollo and other deities and in that practice, they would practice sexual immorality. Now listen up. And if you were a plumber and you belonged to the plumber guild, if you were a carpenter and you belonged to the carpenter union, if you were an engineer and you belonged to, you were expected to attend. And in attending, eat the food that was sacrificed to that God and either participate or be willing to allow for the sexual immorality that goes on because that's part of your dues. We're all in this together and the way we get a blessing from this deity is for us to all commit, recommit our lives to this deity. And so Jezebel decides that, hey, these guys got to eat. I mean, this is the success of their business. So I have a higher knowledge. I realize that it's just your body. It's just your body, and what you do with your body isn't connected to your spirit and your heart. Listen, and she's, God knows your heart, so it's okay to do it with your body because God knows your heart. And so she kind of does this dualism, splits the human being, and that's the beginning of a, a heresy that grew into, for the next two and a half centuries, called Gnosticism. Gnosis means knowledge, and Gnosticism is I have a higher knowledge. And, and, and just developed all of these ideas, but the, the fruit of it was to split the human being into two parts and to say, what you do with your body doesn't matter. Just as long as he has your heart and your words. Now think about that. I have heard myself and people around me say, it's okay, God knows your heart. I know you just pillaged that village, but you know, you didn't really want to in your heart. It, God knows your heart. I know you just left your wife, but God knows your heart. I know that you just robbed a bank, but God knows. Don't we do that sometimes? In I'm, I'm using exaggerated examples because none of us have pillaged villages lately. <laughs> but we do that. It's a game. Listen, God knows your heart, and he also knows your body. And they're connected there is no you without your body. Even in heaven, you will have a body. Humans were created with bodies. You are not a floating spirit with a harp. So what I do with my body really counts. 
And it loops around and informs my heart and affects my thinking. And there is no higher anything. If I've moved beyond Jesus, I've moved too far. If I move beyond the cross, I've moved too far. There is no, well, once you have my experience, or once you know what I know, and once you've read what I've read, and that's Gnostic. We go deeper into the person of follow, in following Jesus who has flaming eyes and bronze, uh, burnished bronze feet, the holiness of God. You're with me so far? So here's the dilemma. The dilemma that existed then, it exists today. So the dilemma is... I'm called to be in the world. I'm called to be a plumber. I'm called to go to this school. I'm called to have children that go to this school. I'm called to be in this country. Yes, I am an American. I am here. This is my call. This is, I'm invading as a, as a, as a missionary, but I can't go along with everything that this school, this business, this country is pro proposing. So now what do I do? There's the rub, isn't it, Christians? There's the rub, because it does count. And we cannot compromise. Any more than the teaching of Jezebel was okay. It's okay. God knows. Go ahead and compromise. We cannot compromise. And what's really complicated is in our country today, we have, we have moved from tolerating everybody. I tolerate. I mean, I can't expect people to have my worldview. That's, that's the wonderful thing about America. We, we tolerate everybody. But we've gone from tolerating to now mandating to now propagating and saying this is what we're going to teach other people and so now I have to say whoa 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 in my thinking that's a religion that is a religion and just like we don't worship other gods we don't espouse other religions we honor respect and and, and we allow and we tolerate but we don't now say this is this worldview is the right and only worldview, and now we need to teach everybody this worldview. So we live in the day that we're reading about here. It's further complicated today by the fact that we have now defined humans by their sexuality. You are not just and most importantly, a male. You are not just most importantly a female or bisexual or uh, fluid or whatever you're thinking, feeling. That, that is just what you're feeling. But who you are is you are a human being made in the image of God. And what makes a human being... What makes a human being special is someone outside of us, not feelings in me, but someone outside of me defined me. And he said that I am the highest being created on this planet. And he said that I am to reflect his image to the rest of the world. That's what he said. So even humanism, back in the 60s, they said, you are special, little buddy, because you're special. And we just nod our heads uh, during those days in Rogerian therapy and just, yeah, what makes me special is I'm special. <laughs> what circular thinking is that? And now we've reduced it to know what makes you special is how you feel and your sexuality. It's not 
there's a higher calling on all of our lives, on all of our lives, to live in the image of God. And that is our religion. That is our faith. So God, Jesus says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. God's grace periods are always longer than ours. <laughs> Remember that. Listen, I, I'm a pastor, so I have people that come to me and say, what do I do with my bisexual son? What do I do with my trans? I mean, I live in this. This is my world. And I say to them, these are your children, and you love them, and you love them, and you love them, because it's not the end of the story yet. You have been called to invade this world. You've been called into this culture. You love them. Doesn't mean you agree with their decisions. But isn't that how you love your neighbor? <laughs> That's how you love your neighbor. That's how we love. So God's patient. His grace is there. His, his grace, I might say, is for you today. Not just for them. <laughs> Moi, standing in the need of prayer. So her judgment is certain because it's truth or consequences. I gave her time, he says, and she will not repent of her adultery. And her adultery is the idea that she's propagating. Her children are the people have, who have followed her teachings. And he says, I've given her time and I will, uh, and he uses the language of a bed, which is ironic because of it, the teaching is adulterous. So it's not literal offspring that she's having. It's the, children, it's the offspring of her teaching. And uh, her followers are going to suffer as well. So it's a great reminder. Sin is systemic. It's a virus. It spreads. And there has to be a, a return to holiness, a call for us to, to follow Jesus with the burning eyes. And he says that all churches will know that Jesus has judged this church. But then he encourages everybody now to the rest who have not followed her so-called deep secrets. Uh, I'll not give you any other burden. Just hold on till I come. I love that. Uh, actually, Kansas, I don't know if you remember the rock group Kansas from the 70s, Carrie Livgren. Um, I, I followed that story because he, he was this incredible songwriter rocker who was on his journey becoming a Christian while he was touring and uh, and and he actually wrote a song called carry on and I have always wanted to ask him was that influenced from this passage of scripture because it is such a great song and he went on to form a band called AD which was uh, a Christian uh, more strongly Christian group but too much information. Sorry. <laughs> I think just to close out this, this meaty section is it's a great reminder that we don't get God on our terms. We get him on his terms. Now, he speaks our language because he's the incarnational God that comes and he knows our language, knows us, and he speaks to us. But we have to fall in line with him. He doesn't fall in line with us. So if I just say, well, that's just who I am. No, no, it's just who he is, the son of God. So now for the closing. Everybody take a deep sigh. Whoa, okay. That was a fastball across the plate. <laughs> a lot of heat on that one. Verse 26, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over nations. So hang in there, little buddy. You are going to rule with me, Jesus says, over the nations. I will give him the morning star. Isn't that fabulous? Who's the morning star? Revelation 22 tells us that Jesus 
is the more you get Jesus. <laughs> and he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So overcome. There's one master. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love the one or hate the other. You, you've got to decide and, and, and follow Jesus. He's your master. And he will help us overcome our flesh. He will help us overcome the temptation to compromise and fit in. He will help us not to become this divided person who's doing one thing and saying another. He will help us become the person that God has called us to be. So folks, the incarnational principle, that's what I want you to know today. The incarnational principle is simply, for God so loved the cosmos, the evil, fallen human system, because we, we think of that verse as, oh, I love the world. Jesus loved the world. I pictured this blue planet and Jesus cradling the blue planet. You know, it's, it, that verse is using the word cosmos in its John sense of uh, an evil, fallen, decadent human system. For God so loved that he came for you. So the incarnational principle is tag your it. That's what we do. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's risky. Yeah, could compromise. But the best defense is an offense. It's not hiding behind the castle walls. It's, I'm going in, coach. I'm going to love my neighbor. But the incarnational principle is also not compromise morally. That we don't. We follow the holy Jesus. And that's who we are. So, let me give you some principles and then I'll come back and tell you about the cannibals. <laughs> so here's some takeaways look on the screen number one number one <laughs> follow Jesus radically Jesus is radical the word radical is at I think it's at the base of the uh, PowerPoint there um, <laughs> it could have brought up the wrong PowerPoint anyway Listen to me then. <laughs> Follow Jesus radically, the Son of God. He gets to call the shots in your life, right? And, and, and that means that relativism is not true. Uh, and, and the teachings of our culture that we decide to follow Jesus. And I'm not following Jesus, then cut out your eye, cut off your hand. That was Jesus radical hyperbole uh, to say, you know, come on, deal with it. Obviously, it's not literal. Otherwise, we'd all have one hand and one eye, right? <laughs> Secondly, use the accelerator pedal and use the brakes. Stop this nonsense of saying, um, I'm only a chameleon Christian that's fitting in with culture or I'm only a castle Amish Christian that just hates the world and hate culture uh, One is the accelerator one is the brake. We go in fully to love this world and our neighbors and if you don't know a, 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 a Non-christian shame on you I used to joke at, at, the, at Ralph shopping center some of you remember those days and I'd say you know what we are called to do this thing. And if you don't know a non-Christian, shame on you. And if you're not going to do this thing, we need your chair. Because <laughs> we are packed. Because this, this is the locker room. We're, we're preparing to go be missionaries for this world, right? So it's not an accelerator or a brake. We do both. 
you wouldn't ride with someone in their car. Say, you know, I'm, all, I'm really into this accelerator. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what I do. I don't like the brake, you know. And you wouldn't go anywhere. It's just, no, I just brake it over anything. I just don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't. Uh, use them both. Number three, love God with your body. Stop the dualism. You love him in your heart. Love him with your body. That means what you do, where you go, what you say, what you look at, that kind of morality. Number four, parents. Parents, we have an obligation to watch over the little ones. And if our little ones are being indoctrinated in a way that I can't agree with or don't want, then hello, you're the parent. There's a conversation that needs to be had. Maybe, maybe it's with your Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's with your teacher at school. Maybe it's with the principal, vice principal. Maybe it's with the superintendent. I've done all these. It's just, they're my kids. And when the principal said, I'm sorry, this is just what we're going to do. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm a consumer. And my kid is going elsewhere. <laughs> Incarnational principle, we're going in, I want to go in, but I'm not a compromising Christian or chameleon Christian. So one time, um, it was actually when one of my sons was in the 10th grade. And, you know, I, I've studied theology, philosophy, psychology, and, and I know what dark existentialism is. It, it says that there is no meaning in life, and the only meaning in life is the meaning you give it. And I saw these novels, and I said, they are just demoralizing and depressive and a 10th grader should not be reading these. Um, and so I went to the teacher and I said, you know what? No bueno. I don't think any 10th grader should be reading this stuff. Is this, this would launch depression, depression in any 10th grader. Because we're so porous. What can we do? And they said, okay. Uh, you can read these books instead. And I said, Okay. Uh, that was a very easy fix, as you can see, but it's not always uh, that easy. But I need to bear the responsibility. Uh, even as uh, a college student, I'd just become a Christian, and this will date me, the age of Aquarius was the song. <laughs> and the choir director said, okay, we're going to sing the age of Aquarius. And because and he says, I really believe that this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And I said... Excuse me, <laughs> but that uh, cuts across my faith. I, I, I cannot believe that, and I, I don't want to proclaim it. Um, if you had told me that this is just going to be an entertaining thing, I probably would have just cut off my head to, to save everything, but I, I can't. And so he said, okay, Mark, I understand. Uh, conscientious objection. So you just stand there while the rest of us sing it. And I, I felt like an idiot. Every performance just... <laughs> On that song, Cat Had My Tongue. Um, but be a conscientious objector. You gotta, at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself. Um, then prepare for the consequences. You know, not everybody's going to like you. You may not get that raise. You may not be promoted. The teacher may not give you that grade. The people in Thyatira may have suffered huge financial consequences because they were Christians and refused to worship the idols. Uh, prepare for the consequences and then remember Number six, grace is always available. The moment you repent, Jesus is there. 
Yeah, let's do this thing. The moment your neighbor repents, yep, there is grace. That is who we love. Amen. So let me tell you about the cannibals. <laughs> so in 1862, remember that's like the beginning of the Civil War here. There's this Scottish. Uh, it seems like it's always the Scots, you know. The, there's this Scottish missionary that decides that he is going to these South Sea Islands to be a missionary. And uh, let me uh, give you the name of this guy. Uh, yeah, really good name. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't find it right. Yeah, John Payton. I knew it was John. John Payton. And so he's going to the islands of, I had never heard of them before, Hebrides, am, am, am I mispronouncing? Hebrides, there it is. Yeah, the accent was on the wrong syllable. <laughs> so he's going to the Hebrides island, and the Hebrides have cannibals. Now, just stop and think about that for a moment. Yes, it's a challenge to enter into this culture with all of its crazy. It's a challenge, but I haven't met a cannibal in our culture yet. Maybe. So John Payton is going to the Hebrides. He first has to meet a cannibal. Hello, Mr. Cannibal. Uh, you want to eat together? Ooh, that word frightens me. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and eat, eat together, and let's drink together. Oh, I, the word drink kind of frightens me, but let's go ahead and eat and drink together. Let's get to know each other, because I need to know your language. I need to figure out what everything is, and you need to tell me the words for everything so I can eventually tell you about the gospel. How high is that risk? Like, boo! And you say, whoa, 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 John Payton, don't compromise and he says, well, the only compromise I can think of is I'll be eaten. Or worse yet, they convert me to be a cannibal. But he goes. And because he went, and because he loved the people of the Hebrides Island, got to know their kids, learned their food, did everything, that over 3,000 Hebrides Islanders became Christians. The entire island because of this hero that practiced missional lifestyle. He practiced the incarnational principle. So John Payton would say to us today, tag your it. Wouldn't it have been easier if I just said, just go be safe and, and live a very moral life and don't ever go to Safeway. Don't ever go to Costco. Don't ever go around a public school. Don't ever, get, you know, wouldn't it be safe? And, or if I just said, why don't you just get the heck out of California and, and move to Texas or Nashville or Idaho or Montana? Uh, I, know, I know where they're all going. <laughs> and I say to them, you go on, I'll hold down the Alamo. You go on ahead. I don't know what far, part of missional, I don't know what part of incarnational principle you didn't hear from Jesus. But for those of us that are here, tag your it. Be the loving, the faithful, the serving, the persevering church that you are as we follow Jesus to the end. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Father, we, we come to you, and we're just us. We're just clay. Uh, we sometimes don't even know why you loved us. But we realize it's not because of who we are, but it's because of who you see us to be. Remade in your image. So come, Lord, and do your work in us, and make us true followers of you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I have gone over.
bad Christian. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to dismiss you, and I'm going to ask the band to play this song as we go out. Because uh, some of you need to get your kids. They're already uh, tied up their teacher, and they're dancing around <laughs> the teacher. But they haven't started the bonfire yet, so we've still got time. So may God be with you. If you need prayer this morning, come and get it. We would love to pray for you, whatever your need. But may God be with you. May God give you the courage to be the Christian that he's called you to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. God bless you guys.